Good morning. You can open your Bibles to Colossians 3. We're going to continue through our study of Colossians chapter 3. A few weeks ago, we looked at verses 5 through 12, and the title then was Christ-like character, and we saw there uh, some negative character traits which we are to put off, verses 5 through 9, a number of uh, quality character traits which we are to put on in verses 10 through 12. And like they always say, if you're a Sunday school teacher or if you're or the preacher, you get the most out of the message. Well, after that message there, I following days, I pondered verse 12 for, for a while and just uh, applied it to my life. A number of times I would remind myself, you know, Leon, you, you can't say that. Okay, so I did it. Or you cannot even think that way. So we stayed away from that. Lean, you can't, you cannot respond in that way. And the reason is that would not be Christ-like. And that would not be the character that Christ had that we are to uh, reflect and model our lives after that. And I will admit it made life a bit easier, but I still have uh, plenty of room to grow. But look briefly at, at verse 12 and ask yourself these questions. Just in your mind, repeat after me. Am I merciful? Am I kind? Am I humble? Am I meek? And am I long-suffering? And ponder that for a little bit. Does that describe your character? We looked about, we talked about that, uh, like I said, a few weeks ago. And maybe if you're like me, you're wondering, well, uh, if a complete package, so to speak, of this kind of character is even attainable. Did that ever cross your mind? You might think, Leon, you know, I know you're preaching verse 12, and now you did it a couple weeks ago, now you're back reminding us again, is this even attainable? Or you might be asked the question, how is it attainable? And I just, uh, a little object lesson this morning. I brought my basketball. I'm sorry, I think this is Megan's. I brought a basketball this morning, and also tried to picture the guy that drove by when I was carried into church. He kind of cracked his head around. I hope he wasn't a Sunday school teacher. You know what he's teaching. The people of Marystown are playing basketball. I carried into church this morning. Someone said, are we going to play basketball this morning? The answer is no. But here's, here's a basketball. And uh, you give this to a young man and they'll play with this for hours. Even some girls here this morning graduated from high school and they played basketball. And this was a, a, a great game to play. And there we see that ball, but I also brought another one. Same thing, basketball. I don't know, that was a Wilson, this might be a Nike. Only difference is the color, we have two in our house. When you play knockout, you need two basketballs. Again, you give these uh, a basketball to a young man, what are they gonna do? And they're gonna go inside the bounce. And what's the difference here? This is going to bounce. And we're thinking about, you're thinking about, uh, about character. So real quick, somebody tell me, what's the difference between the two basketballs? It's a very easy answer. It's not. The air pressure, or you're exactly right, but the basic difference is what's inside. Both of them have air in, and yes, he's right, the air pressure. But you look at verse 12, and you say, well, okay, merciful kindness, I'm going to mind, meekness, and long-suffering. How can I be that kind of person? What's required so I can attain that kind of character? And brothers and sisters, it's what is inside. If Christ is not inside your heart, verse 12 is beyond reach. We can't get there without Christ. 
But if Christ is within, and not saying that, not indicating that Christ is heir, but just for an illustration, but if you're filled with the love of Christ, you can attain the character traits that we see there in verse 12, as well as those that we're going to look at later. Am I perfect? Far from it. Just ask my family. But however, when we have Christ within, we're not going to go around bouncing, but yes, we will. We'll be joyful and be able to have the character traits that we see listed here in Colossians. We're going to look this morning at verses 13 through 17 with the title, Above All, Put on Love. Yeah, we're covering five verses. I have five points, a point from each verse. If you have your Bibles open to Colossians chapter 3, that's stand and read verses 13 through 17 all together. Colossians 3, 13 through 17. Colossians 3, 13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do we. And above all these things, for our charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also your all in your mind. Thank you. You may be seated. Maybe we should just say amen and have you comment on what you just read. But there's a lot to look at here. Let's dig in. Forbearing and forgiving one another. First point. Forbearing. How many use the word forbearing this week? Probably nobody. Forbearing, defined as to put up with to bear with, to refrain, to control, or to endure. And Jesus is telling us in the, when the, in the Word this morning, we're supposed to be a forbearing kind of people. Yeah, we go back to verse 12. Yep, we can handle that. Let's move on. Verse 13, we're supposed to be enduring. So this morning we come from uh, different backgrounds, right? However, we get together here at church, or you get together at school, or maybe somebody that you work with, a little closer home, so to speak. And here what we see when we're in them situations, we find here that we're to uh, apply Christ-like character with others to the point of enduring, even if it comes to that. And sometimes that is what's required. We tend, myself included, to have an opinion of how things should be done. And maybe we like to do things the way that we were taught. But are we able to forbear with one another? Do we, does our character reveal endurance and patience? Are we able to put up with things that we dislike about others? Maybe wishing things should be done in a different way, but for the sake of harmony, we say nothing. You know, you can probably agree with me here or, or say the same thing. There are times that things happen at work when you say, why was it done that way? Then you quit, then I quickly think, well, how many times did they say, why did he do it that way? Is something that I did. So it kind of, it goes both ways. It's, it's a give or take. The term bearing with means to hold back everything. 
Yeah, now we stop and say, well, that takes duct tape to my mouth, but that's not quite the point. Are we forbearing? Are we uh, holding back? So you say, okay, I can forbear, but it's not to the, to the point that we overlook sin and justify it by saying, well, I'm just trying to forbear. That's not where we're headed. But speaking about other differences, are we wearing the garment of forbearance? Are we uh, able to bear with the flaws of others and to put up with their weaknesses? And most likely your mind are spinning. And yet, well, you, Leon, you don't know what happened to me on Tuesday. No, I probably do not. But are we able to forbear? A quote from Spurgeon, Cultivate forbearance till your heart yields a fine crop of it. I like that. Work on forbearance until your heart has a fine crop. But then he also uh, finishes quote by saying, Pray for short memory of all unkindness. And that's probably just as important as the first part. Pray for a short memory of all unkindness. Have you put on, or are you going to put on, the garment of forbearing? Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Here we have a very, very broad subject. But what does forgiving mean? This is a word we probably use more often. But the definition that I uh, come up with was, to forgive means to hold nothing against. So when we, when we forbear, we hold everything back. When we forgive, we hold nothing against. The character that Christ set for us is quite something uh, to work at and to attain. To be gracious to a person, to pardon one, to pardon for a wrong that was committed against us. And here again, you can all think of, of times. But I got a few questions. If if we forgive someone for an offense, and we probably all have, so if you, if you forgive someone for an offense, is it Christ-like to remind them of that offense <clears throat> at a later date? So if I forgive Ray, can I go back three years later and say, Ray, you remember that? Is that Christ-like? Second question, if we forgive for a wrong, is it Christ-like to mention to our friends about how we were mistreated? To whisper to our friends, you know what Ray did to me? Is that Christ-like? Is that forgive is to hold nothing against, correct? Well, it's the definition that we have. Think about it. Um, a quote by Beecher, I quote, I, cannot, I can forgive, but I cannot forget is only another way of saying I cannot forgive. So when we forgive, we just release the offender completely. I hold nothing against him or her. It's all done with. And I, excuse me for a, a number of quotations this, this morning, but another one I found, found interesting, it's a Japanese proverb, forgiving the unrepentant. Now here we have forgiving someone who hasn't even asked for it. But forgiving the unrepentant is like drawing pictures on the water. You ever do that? You go home today when you eat and take your, your, your spoon or your fork and draw a picture in your cup. It's, it's gone. It's just nothing there. And soon it, the water's all calm again. And that's how we're supposed to forgive. Just forgive and move on. Verse 13 is telling us that even if it goes as far as a heated discussion, we are to forgive. And it tells us how. How do we forgive? You're to forgive. We are to forgive as Christ forgave us. 
And then we stop, and you know, what a pleasant reminder. We're to forgive others like we have been forgiven. And when we do that, then we remember who we were when we met the Lord. Then we pause and thank him for his forgiveness. So we could also ask the question, well, must I, for, must I forgive? Do I have an option? Can we go plan A or plan B? Mark eleven twenty six. But if you do not forgive, you knew I was going to this verse, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. So if I say, brother to that brother, sister, you know, I, I simply, I cannot forgive them. Well, then, then I got a problem because now Christ is not going to forgive me. So which is the reason we are quick to forgive or ask for forgiveness? Because I think I can say that for everyone here this morning. We cannot afford to go through a single day with the forgiveness of God withheld from us. So we need to be a forgiving people. As far as for bringing up the offense later, how would we feel if Christ did that for us? But we know that's not going to happen. Hebrews 8.12 For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sin and iniquities will I remember no more. It's tied in with if we confess our sins and what's he going to do? He's going to cast them as far as east is from the west and remember them no more. So we're talking about Christ-like character putting on the garments of Christ, putting on his character, so we're going to respond like he did. So I'm not going to, three years later, bring offense up to Ray. By the way, in case you get excited here, Ray did not offend me anything that I know about, so I'm just using him as an example. But we're not going to do that because Christ did not do that to us. When we consider his example that he set for us to follow, especially in the area of forgiveness, we see he set a very high standard. Jesus paid the full price for the complaint that God had against us. He paid that full price. He forgave us graciously and completely when we came to faith in him. There wasn't one, two, or three that he said, okay, brother or sister, I'll forgive you for the other 95%, but I'm going to keep this back. No, he forgave us completely. He removed our previous reputation, and then he restored to us in, into a right standing with our Heavenly Father. So now it's as we remember how, how we have been forgiven and we are asked to forgive others who wrong us, is it too much to ask? And some may have been hurt bad, but Jesus said, forgive as you have been forgiven. Are we clothed, clothed with the garment of forgiveness? A familiar verse, Ephesians 4.32, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Refusing to forbear and to forgive is like planting seeds of bitterness in the core of your heart. And I'm not going to elaborate, elaborate much on that thought, but either we forgive. If we choose not to forgive, first of all, God, our Heavenly Father, can't forgive us. And secondly, what's going to happen within us? We just bitterness is going to grow and grow and grow. So we go back and we put off some things we looked at and we put on others, but we put on that forbearance and forgiveness and forgive as Christ forgave us. The second point is from verse 14, which is the title of the lesson, Above all, put on love. Uh, the verse says charity. And also, uh, a subject we had in our Sunday school lesson when we think of love one for another and loving those in need. 
the, the writer here is, is not saying the character traits in, in verses 12 and 13 are on a, a lower scale of importance, but he does say in verse 14, above all, possibly saving the best for last. Clothe yourself with the garments mentioned in the previous verses and then top it off with the garment of love. Love is to be the, the main garment in the new believer's life. It appears like uh, we're dressing in layers with the outer layer. The most obvious layer is love. Can people see the garment of love when they look at you? It's called a bond of perfection. Love binds all the clothing or all the great character qualities in the believer's life together. It covers it all and, and binds it all together. And when we put on this garment of love, and love others from the heart, I believe we will automatically be clothed with the character traits that we see in verses 12 and 13. It, it goes along with it. When we have on love, we will be a people who will, who will be a people of mercy. If we have love, we will be kind. If we're filled with love, we will be humble, meek, and long-suffering. Jesus just put a, calls us to a high standard of living. But when he is within, we can attain when we are filled with the love of Christ, we can reach the level that he wants us to reach. How about Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such no is, there is no law. And you heard it before, but it's worth repeating it. That's called the fruit, not the fruits. So the fruit is included in the entire list. In the same way here in Colossians, the garments in verse 12 and 13 are included in the garment of love. Do we have them all? Do you have the fruit of the Spirit living within? Are you producing that kind of fruit? We can't say, well, I have a couple, but not all that we need. The fruit is all in one. It's been said that love is a crowning grace, completing the virtues required for spiritual maturity. Which I trust is where we're, what we're reaching forward to, we want to attain. As we go about our days, do we have on the garment of love? Above all, put on Charity, which is the bond, are we tied together with love? Love that described here is the agape love, as we can read about in 1 Corinthians 13. It's a, it is a deliberate effort to seek the welfare of others. Now, we can go back in our, our salvation experience. we got to go way back when we put self to death, right? We got we put, Jesus said, you want to follow me? Deny self. So we're way past that. Now we're putting on the garment of love here. And we're, look, we're seeking the welfare of others. And the kind of love we're looking at here is one that will suffer long. Back to verse 12, long-suffering. is not easily provoked, will not rejoice in iniquity. Um, I do believe this story was shared here before, but it's, it fits in well and worth repeating. A little a crippled boy was rushing to catch a train. And as he's going through the crowd, um, he was struggling because he had his crutches and he was carrying fruit, a basket of fruit and candy. And one of the pastors rushed along, knocked out his basket and fruit and candy and everything went flying all over the place. And the man just turned long enough to school the boy for getting his way, and he rushed to catch his train. There was another man on the side observing what happened, and he came over and said, I'll help you. He picked everything up, then also slipped a silver dollar into the boy, said, I hope this is going to help. And he on his way, and the, the young boy, not used to this kind of kindness, called after him and said, hey, are you Jesus? And he said, no, but I'm one of his followers. And what, what made the difference there between the two men we talked about? Not to call people a flat basketball, 
but didn't have the love of God within. It, but the difference in them two men was what is within. And with you and I this morning, that man there responding to a situation with a garment of love because of what was in his heart. What is in our hearts? Or we have some love, but yeah, basically semi-flat. You put two of these, both of these basketballs in a gym this evening when the youth get together, this black one here with half flat is going to stay in the corner. No one's going to play with that one. And this one here, you're going to have 10 guys fighting for it. That's how it works. And the same way with our lives. Do people see you as, got to be careful here, or are you filled with the love of Christ? Can people see the love within? Are you bouncing with joy, so to speak, as you go on throughout your life? And the phrase um, that we see here, above all things, in verse 14, indicates the supreme importance of the virtue of love. Do we have on the garment of love? Love is a doorway through which the human soul passes from selfishness to service and from solitude to kinship with all mankind. The writer there, Anonymous. Do we have on the garment of love? Verse 15, that the peace of God rule in your hearts. And that's my third point, let the peace of God rule. You know, if you look at at the previous verses in chapter 3, which we covered earlier, we're going to see a few action words, which we, we looked at. You're going to see the word set. You're going to see seek. You saw mortify. You saw put off. And three times you saw put on. So all there we saw some action things that we are required to do, things that take our time and our, our energy. So we, we look at those verses, then we take careful inventory of our lives, and we get to work, putting off and putting on. So we just completed the final step in verse 14, where we applied the garment of love, and now on to verse 15. And here we don't, not, we don't see put on nor put off, we see let. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. So here we see action, which we just looked at, now switches to choice. And we're faced with a decision. And the decision is yours, is ours. Whether or not we're going to allow the peace of God to rule in our hearts. And how can, I don't think it's impossible not to allow it after what we looked at in the previous verses. Are we willing to let the umpire of peace rule in our hearts? Willingly laying down differences and circumstances and letting Christ handle them through his rule of peace. Back up. I mentioned we all have our opinion. We do, myself included. But are we willing to let it all lay and allow Christ to make the final decision? The peace of God is the harmony and concord created by God among his people. God gave us this peace. The Greek uh, verb for rule means to act as an umpire who makes decisions in an athletic contest. If you ever played ball, you probably, along with me, said uh, the ump made a wrong call. Besides the point, he made the call. But to let the peace of God rule in our hearts and minds means that when believers are at odds with each other, whatever concourse action best maintains peace and fosters harmony is the course that is going to be taken. We strive for peace. We let the peace of God rule. Has top priority. We're searching for that. 
the peace of God is a, is a quiet sense of trust in God. Again, self is put aside and we allow the peace of God to rule. Peace of God is allowing God to be God. So often self wants to rise up. No, we're going to allow God to be God. The peace of God is a calm assurance uh, for facing difficulties in life. It's that calm assurance. The child of God is not going to avoid trying times in life. But when they do arise, we have the calm assurance and the priceless peace within that allows us to remain calm. As I said before, the word rule means to umpire. It's referring to allowing the peace of God to manage daily struggles in life. And as men here this morning, we like to take that in our own hands, but we need to allow God to help us through those things. Uh, uh, we, a little, uh, kind of a repeat, but an umpire is one who settles things with his decisions. That's the final call. But that's what we're looking at now. The peace of God is the final call. So if the peace of God is ruling in your heart and in my heart, is making decisions in our life, what are we going to do? What's our response? We're going to seek his will in all our choices. And each one this morning, we make a lot of choices every, every day. And when we do make choices, do we are we seeking God's will and seeking for his peace? In our daily decisions, whatever you may be faced with, you might say, well, this is what I want to do. Well, this is a place where I want to go. Or this is a text message I would like to send. Or this is a gadget I would like to purchase. The question is, will I have peace if I go ahead and do that? Does what do our decisions bring us peace? Will it produce peace within my soul, or will the activity cloud my soul? Are we allowing God to rule? Oh, it's so easy to type up a text message and hit that send in frustration, and later it's like, oh my, what did I just do? But before, think about it. Is this God's will for my life? Will this bring peace to my soul? I think we need to let the peace of God rule, allow the Holy Spirit to guide and be sensitive to his direction. Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which what? Passes all understanding. So here we see a, high, a very high standard. We see some authority here. It passes all understanding. What does the verse say? It's going to keep your hearts and mind through Jesus Christ. It almost appears like a promise. But we still need to let, we still need to allow, we still need to invite the peace of God to rule in your heart. Your decision for this afternoon, for tomorrow, at work, when you're driving, you make, you make them very, very fast. Will this bring peace to my soul? When you reach for the horn, is this what I should be doing? Then we could say, well, why are we to let the peace of God rule? Let the peace of God rule in your heart to the which you are called in one body. There is one body of Christ, one body of believers, one church, instructing us as believers that we are to function together as one body. And what better way to function as one body than to invite peace or have peace there, ruling and reigning within. That's how we can have, be unified in the way we are. We're called to live and operate in a unified way. Body of believers here this morning, living in union with each other. How is this possible based upon our differing backgrounds? I take you back to the basketball because of what is within. 
what is within, not air pressure as much as the love of Christ. When that is ruling and reigning within, this is what will come out, is what we are looking at here in these verses. And we will be a unified body because of what is within. We are filled with the same spirit, the same ingredient, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Plus, we need to let or allow the peace of God to rule. Peace is to be the deciding factor. Peace is the umpire in our relationships in the body of believers. And are there any other ways that we can function together as one body as we see here in verse 16? Yeah, we covered it earlier, that back in verse 14, put on love. So the question you could ask yourself, are you a peacemaker? Are you a peacemaker? I prefer peace, the presence of peace over the chaos of pieces. Are you a peacemaker? Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And you look at that, and it, this is the outcome of that is that your identity is revealed when you promote peace, where you be labeled as a child of God. Do people see you as a peacemaker, as a child of God? Let the peace of God rule. And at the end of verse uh, 15, it almost appears to be like a command. And be ye thankful. And I feel like thankfulness will, will automatically follow. After applying uh, the garment of love we saw in verse 14, I believe that this is all going to come together. Those with Christ-like character traits will be a thankful people. Are you a thankful person? Being thankful refers to the spirit of gratitude and for the blessings or uh, benefits that are received from another person. I think we should be quick to say thank you when someone does something for us, regardless how small the deed may be. Gratitude is an inner attitude. Gratitude is an inner attitude. And we're not going to go off and talk a lot about attitudes, but we get the point. We are to be thankful as we continue to grow in gratitude. My studies I come across, Americans have the highest standard of living of any people in history. And I think most of us would agree with that. Yet many are not satisfied. People are quick to grumble and complain as they strive to fulfill those, their selfish desires. <clears throat> as children of God, but by faith in Jesus Christ, we must be careful not to allow grumbling and that complaining attitude to be said about us. So what's the remedy? Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things. You know, that little three-letter word all can try to kind of drive a point home sometimes. Be giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. Another quote, the worship most susceptible to God comes from a thankful and a cheerful heart. Did I say you can't serve God if you're grumpy? I said the worship most susceptible to him is when you come from a thankful and cheerful heart. Are we allowing the peace of God to rule in our hearts? Is that what we're striving for? Are we promoting peace and unity and in the church, in the brotherhood? And are we a thankful people? A lot of questions, but are, it's just describing you and I this morning. Verse 16 for our next point, let the word of God dwell. And here we see another choice. 
Let the words of Christ live within. We are to have hearts that are full, that are saturated with the words of Christ. And we're a Bible-believing people and take time for daily, daily devotions and Sunday school lessons and we, we dig into the word or we apply it to our lives. God gives us uh, answers to the questions in life. He gives us uh, directions for salvation, instructs us how we are to walk through life. You have questions about how we're going through life? Open the Bible and you will find the answer. We're to allow the Word of God to dwell, which means it makes its home in our hearts and in our minds. Matthew 12, 34, the end of the verse, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. What's in our hearts is what's going to come forth from our mouth. When Are we speaking uh, words of God-given wisdom, wisdom that's gleaned from His Word? We, we read His Word to be wise. We believe it to be safe. And we practice it to be holy. Is that who we are? Then we're, we're called to teach and admonish others through the avenue of singing. We sing every time here at church, which is a blessing. The, the Christian faith is a singing faith. Music is an effective vehicle for inspiration and instruction. What did Paul and Silas do when they were in prison? Did they sit in their cell and complain about unfair treatment? No, we know the story well. They were singing. The early Christians typically, typically met before daylight on the Lord's Day to spend time singing. The child of God has a song to sing. Why? Because we have been redeemed. To sing with grace means to sing with energy and joy. We, just, we were singing a little bit earlier. Does this sound like us? The phrase in your hearts does not refer to uh, unexpressed and silent singing, but rather heartfelt praise and adoration to God. We hear psalms and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Singing hymns is like an energizer for the soul. Charles Spurgeon used to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, when the going was difficult for him. It has been said, if you feel like sighing, try singing. When your heart is troubled or your thoughts are not where they should be, try singing. If your thoughts are trying to take you someplace else, try singing. Singing will boost your spirits, provide energy for the next step, put a smile on your face that another weary soul may be looking for. So this singing will change your, uh, your facial expression and it's just exactly what someone else may be looking for. Spurgeon also said, praise is a rehearsal of our eternal song. We know how when we reach heaven, gather around his throne, we're going to be singing. And praise is a rehearsal of our eternal song. Psalm 98.4, make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. And I believe that Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, but also each and every day of our lives are we singing to the Lord. <clears throat> and then verse 17 for our final point. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Do all in the name of the Lord. And the results that are going to come from what we looked at here this morning uh, are not just limited to public and private worship, but it's the full intent of what, what these character traits. It's to control every area of our Christian life. You know, we talk about surrendering our all. That's exactly what Christ wants. He wants 100% of us then we put on what we looked at here this morning, 
and we can press on living a faithful life for Christ, looking forward to the day when we meet him face to face. Dr. David Jeremiah, I quote, the cure to sin is to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and to thank God in every word and deed. Then we think about, the Bible talks about idle words, every idle word that man shall speak. And he is telling us that do everything in, his, in the name of the Lord and thank God in every word and deed. So we get to this and we go back and ask, are you a thankful people? Well, obviously, yes, we are. We're thanking him for, for everything. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Praise and thanksgiving are indicators of spiritual health. Praise and thanksgiving are indicators of spiritual health. Well, can I be an unhappy Christian? If someone says, hey, how are you doing today? Well, time out, folks, time out. I believe you're posting around with a smile on your face. I'm not saying there's never a time for, well, I had a bad day. I hit my, my, my thumb with a hammer. I understand that. But are you, is there a smile on your face? If every time I ask you how you're doing and I get this long, drawn-out, droopy, dreary report, I got problems. I mean, you got problems. Everything you do, give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Does character mean anything? Absolutely. God is saying, here's what we post. Here's the garment we're supposed to put on. Here's what you're supposed to be. Smile. Why? Because of what is within. Don't go through life like this one. Let your life shine. Let joy bounce from your heart because of what Christ has changed in your heart and in your life. I think I said it before. Uh, in construction many years ago, we had a job supervisor. His name was Jonathan, but we didn't call him that. We called him Smiley. Why? You guessed it. Every time he jumped out of his truck, regardless if it was warm or cold, the gentleman was smiling. Is that you? Can we call you Smiley? Because, oh, they're always smiling. That's what we need. No, the word smile is not mentioned here, but when the word of Christ is dwelling within and whatever we do in word or deed, we're doing it to the name of the Lord and we're being thankful and grateful people, we will have a smile on our face. We can't walk around with a long face because of what is within. Are you flat this morning or are you filled with the love of Christ? Are you excited and bounding with joy or... Praise and thanksgiving are indicators of spiritual health. And Christ is the, stand, the standard by which we direct all our activities. <clears throat> to do things in the name of Jesus, conduct our deeds and actions in a way that will gain his approval. I don't know what your plans are for this afternoon, but will it gain the approval of the Lord? Whatsoever you do, so whether you're washing the dishes or unloading or loading the dishwasher, do it in the name of the Lord. As you're commuting to work, or if your job requires a lot of uh, driving, Drive in a way that pleases the Lord. Whether you're at school, whether you're a student, a teacher, or maybe you're the administrator, teach as you would teach Jesus. And do your schoolwork, students, as if Jesus was going to grade your papers. 
do it in the name of the Lord. Every activity that we do, and I only named a few, should be done in a way that puts a smile on our master's face. Yes, there are things we simply will not do. Why? Because they would do the opposite. Would not, would not, they would fail to bring honor to his name. Our prayer should be, Lord, make my life a clear reflection of you in word and deed. Words that we said this past week, this morning, what we're going to say tomorrow, do they honor and promote the Lord Jesus Christ? So what we saw in this chapter thus far is that we're told us to examine our lives and improve in the areas which God has pointed out. And as, as you journey through life, remember to seek those things which are above. Seek things that have eternal value. Yes, we're pilgrims on this side of eternity. We're here temporarily. But in light of that fact, we're going to keep ourselves from becoming patrons to this world's schemes. We're not going to side with the world. What did we read about in our Sunday school lesson talked about? The world's going to hate us because we're with Christ. Hate? That's a strong word. They're not going to understand us. They're not because we have been, we're full of, of Christ. So while you still have time, uh, embrace the character traits that we see Christ embraced. Above all, put on love, be filled with the Spirit, allow the peace of God to rule in your heart. And I will admit, I, I took a quote out of the, beside us through Wallace this morning, so I know there's a bunch of you read that. A.W. Tozer, I close with this. We must never rest until everything inside us worships God. I have work to do. Do you have work to do? Does everything inside you worship God? Are you grateful? Are you thankful? Is the peace of God ruling in your hearts? Are you a peacemaker? Are you clothed with the layers and your outer garment is that garment of love? Can people see the smile on your face and know that you have been with Jesus? Press on. Be faithful. Put on the character traits that Christ called us to and walk in love. Above all, put on love. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning. Thank you, God, for your holy word. Thank you, Lord, that it, your spirit dwells within. Lord, may our hearts be filled and saturated with the love of God and with the word of God. And may we have on the character traits listed here in verses 12, 13, 14, other places. Help us, Lord, just to let the peace of God rule in our hearts, to let the word of God change us, to be a thankful, grateful people with a smile on our face, pressing forward, everything about us, every, everything that with, is within us, may it be worshiping you. May we walk with a smile on our face, please you, let others know we have been with you, and spread your word abroad each and every day. Lord, may we just be your children, following your footsteps, mirroring your example, and telling others how you have changed our lives. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.